0: Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the On Texas Football Tuesday night Longhorn live stream brought to you by Energy Texas. I'm your host, Blake Monroe, where I'm joined by Rod Babers and Jerry Hamilton. And uh, guys, it feels weird being on here in the evenings. I'm not used to it anymore, (laughs) but uh, (laughs) lots of recruiting stuff going on, Jerry. I know we talked about it this morning, some news on Kobe Black. Of course, the coaches hit the road this Thursday. I'm going to let you tell all the good folks out there all about it.
1: Yeah, and uh, by the way, Blake is so confident in the Rangers that when Bobby said, what are you doing tonight, <laughs> he said, i got nothing going on. I'm in. Um, <laughs> <I> said, <"Whoa." laughs> um, but look, yeah, it's a lot of recruiting stuff going on. Um, obviously, Kobe Black, A&M, had the door open waiting for him to show up on his official visit in College Station, and he never walked through that door, and they had to shut it. Um, he showed up at the uh, OU Texas game with his mom and older brother. Um, look, and I, Texas is, um, I jokingly said on inside Texas, my own three RPM standing as tall as big Tex, and uh, that's where I'm at. Um, so we'll see how long the recruitment plays out, but Texas has been the leader for a while. That's just another sign of it. Um, we'll see if he does something, you know, he's not, he's not going to go until December. I, I, I just continue to say that's not going to happen. We'll see though, Does, does something parallel with his high school season playoffs, Everything there, college coaches starting to come out, take a look at all the kids there. We'll see. Um, Blake, as you mentioned, uh, college co- uh, Texas coaches are on the road this week, Thursday through Saturday. Um, and we have, well, it's myself, Justin Wells, we have a list of uh, known places they're going to go. Um, so I can run down those real quick, and that will open everybody up for questions on guys. Good evening from Fripp Island, South Carolina, by the way. That's awesome. Um, uh, so you have – Kyle Flood will be in Houston, Dallas, but he'll be at St. John Bosco modern day game Friday night. Obviously, Brandon Baker, 2025's Jordan Davison, uh, Nasir Wyatt, Marcus Harris, but DeAndre Carter, the offensive lineman, the four-star just visited Texas officially September 30th, still an Auburn commitment. Auburn's lone high school offensive line commit, so Hugh Freeze is about to go heavy portal. Uh, but, so there's some pressure on Auburn to keep him committed, though, uh, but we'll see where that one goes. Uh, we know Deshore Choice will be down at IMG um, either on Thursday or Friday. See Jarrett Gibson, who was at the Cotton Bowl, Red River shootout Saturday. Uh, Bo Davis, I, I believe he'll be in Louisiana, but also in Florida. Um, Going to go see DeAndre Robinson. I think Tim and Deshore Choice will be there Friday. I think uh, I expect Bo probably, I would expect him to go down to Miami and see Dimitri Nicholas, the defensive lineman committed to Auburn they just offered a couple of weeks ago. Uh, maybe also hit up the O'Galley and see the 2025 free Brandon Brown. Uh, so I though coaches will be on the road in a lot of places. Terry Joseph will be at Wardell Max game Friday night. Uh, so the Texas coaches will be on the road. AJ Millwee again will be, he'll be at KJ Lacey's game at Sarah Lamb Friday at the see trail and Thursday. Uh, so the Texas coaches will be out on the road. Uh, you know, Jeff Banks is going to swing by Duncanville Thursday or Friday. Uh, so we'll, we'll see where else these guys pop up, but um uh, yeah, I would expect that Jeff Cho will show up at a linebacker school that's committed elsewhere Thursday or Friday as
0: well. And then, Jerry, there was obviously also some big basketball news, uh, yeah, that came at basketball recruiting, I guess I should say. So, you want to touch on that real quick?
1: Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's big, it's big for a couple of reasons, right? And if you're not an inside Texas member, I'll tell you why it's a big news, uh, coming up, uh, after this. But Trey Johnson, five star number three or four player in the country, the shooting guard out of Lake Highlands, who's playing his senior year at Link Academy. Uh, we've been reporting in Inside Texas. I've been telling people this is a Texas-Baylor deal. He's still in Alabama, Kentucky, Kansas, Arkansas on the peripheral. But he put out an Instagram video uh, this afternoon, this evening, that said it's definitely Texas and Baylor uh, for him. Uh, the question there with his recruitment is, will he sign earlier in the spring? I'm hearing more likely the spring which, so whoever wins this recruitment's going to have to, they're going to have to deal with the G League. If he goes out and averages 19-20 a game at prep, at link prep on that schedule, they're going to play. I mean, you know, what, Ron Holland got around 800,000 from the G League. So, I mean, we'll see. Uh, Trey Johnson's going to be one of those coveted guys. The other reason this is big, look, man, I'm going to have a little fun right now, guys. On Inside Texas, one of my favorite posters of all time uh, is Jordan 91. And, uh, he said he would cut off his hand if Trey Johnson assigned signed with Texas. So there's a lot on the line for this guy in the next few weeks right now. I mean, he could uh, he could be missing a wing pretty soon. So we'll, we'll see on that. I've not put in an RPM. Um, Trey Johnson's recruitment, look, here's the deal on it. Tremendous player, by the way. Uh, his father, Richard Johnson, started his career at Baylor. Rodney Terry was an assistant coach at Baylor. Um, so they've had a long-standing relationship. His, his Richard Johnson's a high school head coach.es was on the Lake Highlands coaching staff when they won state, beat Beaumont United, uh, obviously with Trey as a star player there. Uh, so there's long-standing connections with Texas and Baylor. Uh, it'll be interesting to see which way it goes. Um, you know, there's that awesome picture from when Trey was visited Texas. He has he took a picture with Arch Manning when he went over to the football facility. Uh, Sark took some time, talked to him for about 20 minutes about the football program. Uh, so it was it was a pretty cool uh, deal for Trey because Trey likes football, he doesn't play it, but just the chance to see uh, meet Sark and talk to the Texas team, meet Arch, uh, that was kind of a highlight from his trip. But we'll see which way it goes. We'll also see if it plays out into the spring or not. Uh, but Trey Johnson's a Texas Baylor deal, um, and Jordan ninety one's got a lot on the line. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Okay, well, obviously, plenty of time to get your questions in, so please, please do so. Uh, But before we get to those questions, Rod and Jerry, I want to talk to y'all about this weekend. There's obviously some big games that are coming up in college football. Uh, Anything in particular that y'all are looking forward to, you know, hoping to catch over the weekend?
1: Oregon at Washington. Uh, Oregon at Washington for me, Rod, I mean... Look, here's the reality for for Texas fans, and I know that loss was brutal. Look, I I walked out of the cotton ball. I felt that I saw it on everybody's face. But undefeated teams are about to start losing. We're getting to that point. Texas OU played last week. You have Oregon-Washington this week. USC's at Notre Dame, which USC will lose anyways. Their defense is horrible. But um, they they start to have some games. Some, Some undefeateds are about to start getting knocked off next week. Penn State at Ohio State. Penn State, Ohio State, and Michigan are going start going to start playing each other. Uh, so some of these undefeateds are going to start to uh, lose games, and and it's really going to set up. Um, I like Washington over Oregon too. I think they're tremendous on offense. I am a little worried about them defensively, but that guy's a great offensive back, uh, offensive coach. Uh, but Rod, I mean, I there, uh, some of these these a lot of these undefeateds are going to start going down. So if Texas handles their business, they're going to creep up a spot in the polls every week. That's where we're at in college football right now. You're muted, Rod. Oh, yeah. So considering where the Big 12
2: is, I totally agree. The, the Big 12 at this point might be the weakest we've seen the Big 12 in the years. I mean, I, it, I, I think the last time the Big 12 was this week. You probably had to go back even before my time in the Big 12. Um, so with Texas, you know, pretty much still uh, somewhat in the driver's seat, controlling their own fate in the Big 12, I'm with you. All they got to do is take care of business, and you've already saw some teams get upset. I and mean, We saw Notre Dame. We knew that was going to happen. They were teetering, um, you know. So we, you know, I, we we saw uh, a couple other teams uh, nearly get upset this weekend. So it's definitely going to happen. You'll see a couple of teams get knocked off. It's just the nature of things. But Texas, fortunately, doesn't really have to face any marquee big time opponents. They may not even face a ranked opponent again right. in Big Twelve play, depending on how K-State looks or, you know, maybe TCU, something like that. They may climb up uh, the rankings a little bit later on. But the the truth is Texas may not face another ranked opponent until, if they can handle business, get to the Big 12 title game.
1: Yeah, by the way, a big game in Knoxville this weekend. Uh, A&M's at Tennessee. And after last weekend, you know, uh, Texas A&M loses at Tennessee. Uh, Boy, the Natives are going to get a little restless in College Station. So there's not many games out there that impact 2024 recruiting. Most of the hay's in the barn. These games are big, 2025, 2026 kids. But, look, I mean, if, 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 if the Natives get restless in College Station, uh, if a and loses this weekend, that can affect you uh, um, in recruiting moving forward and as well as University of Florida. They got a big one, too, and I say that because Texas, you know, has Deontre Robinson committed. They're going after Florida commitment toward L. Mack, the corner out of New Orleans, Xavier Phil Same, the safety out of McKinney um so you know florida loses this weekend they're staring at five and seven six and six if you look at their schedule they still have georgia they still have fsu uh they still have Ole miss they've got a couple other games so uh huge games road games for texas a&m and florida this weekend that could impact recruiting because losses put those coaches kind of on the hot seat early early for napier obviously uh jimbo there would be taking a lot of heat in college station and when things start getting uh negative that's when 2024 recruiting can be impactful
0: all right guys well let's get to some questions here and there's definitely plenty of them um sorry i put myself in full screen there for a second and we're going to start off with this uh, super chat from Daniel Kinnaman. He says, Jerry's jerky fun. Did Gunnar Helm show enough to keep from trying to find a tight end in the portal?
1: No, because you need two proven guys, right, Rod? I mean, that's the, that's the whole deal is Gunnar Helms a very good player. Uh, Texas, Jeff Banks developed him into a very good player. But, look, you need that downfield threat. I mean – that that's what you're going to be looking for in the portal at tight end. I mean, Jordan Washington's got a lot of upside coming out of Langham Creek, but he's going to need a little time. Um, but, uh, yeah, with Gunnar Helm, you, you want two options, uh, and you want them to be different options, Rod. Uh,
2: yeah, Sark loves, you know, 12 personnel, used it a lot last season, probably used it close to 30% of the time before that. It was probably a little bit higher as he's gotten into some other personnel groupings, 21 personnel, which he still uses a little bit now more, but had used it a lot when Bijan and Rojo were on campus. And now he's even losing that 6-0 line package. He's trying to diversify that 12 personnel, but he hasn't had a tight end as athletic and explosive as JT Sanders. I don't know if he's ever had one as a play caller. Uh, So that's really unique. And I wonder if he'll get used to that luxury of having that caliber of a tight end and getting back to what Jerry said, recruiting that caliber of a tight end, which is hard to do. I mean, you're talking about a five-star athlete and even getting those kind of guys through the portal. Hopefully, there are some tight ends around the country that see how prolific uh Sark is with weaponizing tight ends, especially guys like JT Sanders. And they think, hey man, I want to be in, I want to play in that offense for Sark. Sark does say the tight end, second most important position in his offense behind quarterback. Uh, this is the first year I think I've actually seen that materialize on the field. Via the passing game, I think it's more because of JT Sanders and how unique he is. Gunner Helm is, I, I think he's, he's competent and he, he's serviceable. There's no question about it, but JT Sanders, the biggest matchup nightmare on your offense. So there's no real way to replace him. And the best thing they did to supplement the productivity was go to that 6-0 line package. It changed the complexion of the offense, but that was the adjustment in the Kansas game. And it should have been more of the adjustment, honestly, in the Oklahoma game when Texas didn't have the full availability of JT Sanders. The, the numbers that they're putting up on that, that, that six-o-line package are just unbelievable. That's not, it might be the most efficient, effective, and explosive yep. personnel grouping they have
1: right now that I've been tracking. One of the most impressive things to me about uh, Texas' uh, loss Saturday, 527 yards offense and Sanders wasn't able to be a factor. Yep. That's a crazy number when you lose JT Sanders. I mean, you had three turnovers, had 527 yards, and Sanders wasn't could, physically couldn't get do it. He wasn't there in the passing game. That's a scary number uh, if Texas gets that rematch with OU. Yep.
0: All right, guys. Well, Daniel Kinnaman donated to Jerry's Jerky Fund, but, Rod, he's hey, go. also going to help you out. The hey. best super hey. chat ever. He says, hey. Rod, tamper fund. Who's winning the diaper competition with you and the missus?
2: Honestly, right now, man, we're close to neck and neck. She gets me because uh, she basically kind of sends me to bed sometimes. You know, I got to get up and do the morning show. So I'm getting up at like four in the morning to get ready for the morning show. So those late night, you know, feedings with two in the morning. I'm up. I'm trying. I'm the hype man. And she's like, go to bed, babe. I got this. And then she'll she'll get me right there with a couple of diaper changes in the middle of the night yeah. that I can't keep up with. But for the most part, guys, I'm holding my own up in there, man. I'm holding my own. My technique is 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 fishing at this point, man. I can change that probably in less than 90 seconds. Easy yeah. done. You're like, yeah,
1: you're like NASCAR. You're changing the tire <laughs> on the car, man. You have but you haven't had to deal with the real major blowout yet. That's in a few oh, months. No. Now, oh, yeah. The blowout well, is a few months away, and that's you know that's, oh, that's a different game. We'll have to ask I'm, you in a few months. If I haven't dealt with a blowout, then I'm scared of what's coming because it felt like I've already seen it.
2: But you're right. It may be coming something deadlier than that.
0: (laughs) Uh, Well, thank you, Daniel, for those. And then I'm going to go ahead and read this other one from Daniel, too. Uh, He says he missed or they missed the Super Chat Sunday night. Is there a run fit for a running quarterback? Have to imagine there is or every team in the country would only recruit dual threat.
2: Uh, you know, I mean, there are fixes. Obviously, you can put a spy on a, a quarterback who is either designed. They put him in design run situations, or he just likes to scramble as a part of his uh, game to improvise second reaction plays. Um, you also, it, it's also on your defensive line, right? Sarkis so talked about being disciplined in the pass rush lanes um, and how that affect that. Now, there are ways to deter a running quarterback, but there's no doubt it's a cheat code. you it, it, it can ask any defensive coordinator around the country. That the probably the best cheat code in football today is a plus one in the running game, which is a quarterback that can help you in the running game, but also a dual threat who can extend the play, that can improvise. And once the play breaks down and once the play decomposes, that they can actually resurrect it and turn it into something else, a scramble drill. That's why they're taking over in the NFL. We see more there. Actually, I read a stat uh yesterday that. Last year, for the first time ever, there were more quarterback rushing yards on design runs last season in the NFL than scrambles. First time in history of the NFL. It's never happened before because we have more quarterbacks that are being weaponized in that manner. So it's no doubt. It's a cheat code. you go look at, you know, the way you used to kind of beat in Nick Saban when he was at his peak. And it was, you better have a quarterback that can hurt you in a lot of different ways. So, yeah, it, it's a way to stop it. But there's no doubt if you got a good one, and Dylan Gabriel seems like a damn good one they present you with a number of
1: problems. By the way, uh, Corey Seager went yard in the first
2: one.
0: (laughs) I I just saw that. It came across on my phone. All right, we have another super chat here, guys. This one from Altoid Floyd. And he says, Rod, why did Sark tempo instead of a four-minute drill?
2: He said it was a four-minute drill, which usually the point of a four-minute drill is to milk the clock so that you have the last possession and he was asked if he would change anything on that final offensive drive. And he said, no, he would do the exact same. Now, I think he was referring to the play calling. He brought the explanation, he started talking about the play calling after the sack on first down on that last drive. He did not refer to the four plays before that um, after the, I believe it was a second and 10 that Xavier Worthy ends up getting, is it an 11- or 12-yard reception? They get a first yeah. down. There are four plays prior to uh, Brent Venables, well, not Brent Venables, but them stopping the clock on injury timeout. And that's when they stopped the clock. But four plays, Jerry, where Sark and Quinn decide they – were. I can't blame Quinn. I'm blaming more Sark. But Quinn snapped the ball with 28 left on a play clock with the clock running, 28 seconds left, 27 – I think it was 23 on that other one. I mean, if you if you, and I'm not saying you got to milk it all the way down to zero. I get that. Uh he, he, by the way, he wanted, and he say this, but just a football theorist, he saw something that he liked. They had injuries in their secondary. They had moved Key Lawrence to corner. Yeah. Go look at the D linemen at that time. They are gassed. They, they are were hands on hips. They're they're high and they're t- they are gassed. And S- Sark wanted to wear him down, and he saw something. But you could argue that at that time he still, and this is a guy that talks about complementary football. What is complimentary football? Considering the other phases of the game, right? When you're making calls. I don't know if he was considering the defense when he was uh, focused on that last offensive drive. Because if he was, those four plays, I think you can milk that down probably to 12 to 10 seconds. Guys, that's 30 to 40 seconds right there that Oklahoma would not have had. They got the ball back with 77 seconds of scored in 62 seconds, Come on, man. That's that might be the game right there. It is a game of inches, and we're being nitpicky. But as a coach, you know you want to be a high-level coach. That's how you got to be thinking. You got to be thinking about complementary football. And I think Sark was thinking like an offensive coordinator and a play caller, not a head coach at that moment.
1: Yeah, I, and I think uh, here's what I think. Watching going back, and I agree with Rod. I think what he was pro. It, we'll never know. I think what he was doing is that 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 RPO sack set them back. I think he was thinking. If I get a first round, a first down on this play, I'm running this thing to five and I'm kicking the game winner. But mm-hmm. after they took that sack, you know, that, that kind of messed up the timing of everything for them. Uh, and everybody's like, well, they should have thrown it on third and nine. No, they were out of field goal range after the sack. But uh, yeah. I agree with Rod, but I have a feeling that's what they were – as a staff, that's what they were looking at. That RPO where Quinn got sacked there, if they make a first down on that play – their plan was probably to run that thing to five and kick a thirty-five yarder to win it. Yeah. But again, that's what happens when you're you know you're thinking ahead like that instead of thinking of
0: running the clock at the time. Good point. Okay, well let's move on here. We have a uh, question from Nico twenty-one. He says, unfortunately, I couldn't watch a lot of the game Saturday due to my kids' sports. I feel you. Uh, But from videos and highlights, I saw there seemed to be a lot of Jet Bush at Edge. With the depth we have there now, why did he get so many snaps?
2: Hmm. That's a great question. I think we've had uh, questions about the rotations um, at a lot of different positions and why they haven't tightened up some of those rotations or at least made them more situational. And I don't know if they're situational. I would love to know if the rotations are situational or they just, they're on, I guess we can kind of go back and try to track it. If they're just actually on a kind of regular steady rotation, that uh, they know every two series or whatever it may be. Um, and it may be a matchup based thing too. Maybe the matchup they like us. Uh, I've wondered about this at safety actually, and tried to figure out what the rotations are. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's a great question, Jerry. I, I'm not saying the young man hasn't earned it. He has. He probably has earned those uh, reps. Um, but I do wonder if there's a more effective um, person, a effective choice that you could have ahead of him. I do wonder that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I look, I I respect how hard he works uh, and what he brings to the program. But that's, I mean, he's not going to go sack the quarterback. The only time he gets sacked, I mean, he said he got a sack against Baylor. Baylor's offensive line's horrible, and Alfred Collins knocked the uh, puller into. Knock a lineman into the pool or the puller or trip. Then, I mean, I mean, not that Bush wasn't, didn't make a smart read on the play, but he's not the guy that's coming off the edge, beating the tackle, or getting sacked.
2: Yeah. Is I, it a culture uh, thing? Are the coaches trying to, is it a culture thing that you can earn your way on the field? The, the meritocracy that if you work in practice and you do all the right things and you have a certain skill level, certain level of competence that play? is it that
1: i, I think yeah I, i'll tell you what i think it is uh, honestly rod is nobody nobody was getting pressure okay. i mean you know I, that's me i mean you know um th- that's kind of where i'm coming out but i agree with you i mean that and that's why texas uh you know look that's why colin simmons is such a huge recruit for texas we don't
0: we don't have this conversation <laughs> that's fair All right, we have a question here from UT Boy, and he says, Rod, can you speak on Sark's clock management? I know you kind of did a little bit ago with that one question, but in general. Yeah.
2: Um, Yeah, I think it's something that he struggles with. I I thought bringing on Joe D. Camillus, I thought uh, special assistance to the head coach. um, I believe that was kind of their role as well to kind of help with clock management, game management. Uh, And I I do think, you know, Sark failed at that clock management on the last offensive drive. Um, I think he was thinking about, hey, I just got to score a touchdown, and I see the weakness in the opposing defense, something I can exploit. And then he went up-tempo. And it was right after that, there was an Xavier Worthy uh, reception and at second and 10. He gets that Xavier Worthy reception, they get a first down. And then that's when Sark starts, they're going up-tempo. You got no problem with up-tempo in that situation. But you got the ball back with four and a half minutes. You could have went to four minute mode, and there are four plays where the clock is uh, running, and you snap the ball with twenty eight seconds left 28, 27, and twenty three. I mean, think about it, guys. If you just milk that down to fifteen seconds, to twelve seconds, or ten seconds, I even got to go all the way down to zero. No, nah. Oklahoma just that ball back with like thirty some seconds, if and that- no timeouts, and no timeouts, and they might have started milking that stuff earlier. Who not? Who knows how it goes? So I think that was a miscalculation by Sark, and I think. Him as a coordinator and a play caller, that's what mode he got in in that situation. And you got to be in head coach mode. Head coach mode is thinking about complementary football, what he says all the time. And complementary football is about clock management, game management, thinking about your defense, how exposed they are. You got young players on that defense. No, it was no Jalen Catalan in that secondary, no Ryan White's in that secondary, inexperienced in a really, really big game. And as a coach, you got to be weighing that. It's a, it's really tough to be thinking about eighteen different things at one time. But that's the job. And I think he failed at clock management late in the game. And I think ultimately it cost his, his his team a chance, a better chance at being able to win this game
0: all right well uh, let's see here we got some super chats but before we get to those i need to tell everybody about energy texas and energy texas they're here to help tex here to help texans take their energy savings by the horns with their freedom flex plan for 4.95 a month you can switch plans every 30 days without penalty you can enjoy texas size rewards and excellent customer service that you can hang your hat on they serve texans without the bull so Give them a call today or go check them out at energytexas.com. And we want to thank them for sponsoring the Longhorn live stream tonight. And as I said, guys, we do have some super chats that we need to get to. And so this one from Keith Davis, he says, do we see defensive linemen again in the backfield on first and goal? Or is that over? (laughs) Oklahoma (laughs) is laughing at that disaster. Wow. I think two linemen, it could
1: be over. Um, but here's the thing with that too, is, um, look, I mean, Jonathan Brooks is tremendous running back. He's not a downhill power back. Mm -hmm. That's kind of my issue with that package is, you know, it's easy as I just got to blow people off the goal line, uh, blow people off the line and walking in the end zone. But when you're in games like that, I mean, you're playing against really good opponents, right? Talented opponents. Um, so sometimes who you hand that ball off to matters there, and Jonathan Brooks is tremendous. He's going to play in the NFL. Guys have different strengths. His strength is patience as a runner. Um it, He's not the guy you just hand it to from the two and say just go bowl through that linebacker and run into the end zone if the guard misses the block. I mean, that's not who he is. Um, I, I'm interested, Rod, to see if they go to that again, if it's Savion it in the back, because Savion Red is – he is pissed off when he takes a handoff, and he is going to kneecap a linebacker because he plays with low such low pads at 5'9", 215, and all he's got to do is dive to get the ball over the end zone mm-hmm. at that point. Um, I just think I, it, that personnel uh, package, I think the running back's got to be a power guy.
2: Yep, I agree with you 100%. I'll give you credit, because You've been saying that actually before the season even started. You thought Savion Red was – could solve their kind of short yardage back issues, power back issues. And I agree. I think he, he has a, a, a knack, too, uh, of kind of working in a phone booth. He does. And, find, and you know what I mean, and kind of finding that crease and finding that daylight. I really got, That's why he's great in the Red Cat package. Um, yeah, I mean, that was start trying to make a statement. And I, by the way, I support the statement and get the statement. The statement is simple. We don't give them if you know where the ball's going. Right. Because we got bigger humans. We got better ballers. We, and we are right now going to impose our will on you, period. All right. So it blew up in his face because Sark is usually an offensive coordinator, a play caller, uh, and an offensive mind that is praised for his innovation and creativity. But every now and then he gets, he wanted to break character and play ball. And that's, you know, Tom Herman used to do that, right? We just call him the Mince and Meathead. Where he would go, I'm playing Meathead football. I don't care if they know it's predictable. This is football. I'm trying to move it. He to starts to say "I'm football is at its most basic level, moving another human being against their will." And sometimes he would just rely on that as a as a playground. Like, no, nah, we're gonna we're gonna play some Mince and Meathead football." And I think there was a little Meathead in there for Sark. Yeah. he even mentioned he said it's it. yeah. He said I would have changed up the play seat call sequence and i'd add another play in there and i think he would have thrown in something a little bit more creative and he wouldn't have been as predictable but oklahoma give them credit once again it's another example of them being well prepared yep. they were ready and they knew all right when they begin and that was the, that was the first time we started to bondre sweat package. so they they adjusted to that but what they knew about the byron murphy um element was wherever byron murphy is going they are gonna try to run behind that behind big man so come right off his butt wherever he's going all the defenders come right off his butt, and then that's where the hole's going to be. You're going to meet the run right there. They did it damn near every time, and it was a great play by Oklahoma. So that was your being, them being well prepared. Sark, that was a tendency breaker to win big games, a big tendency in critical crew moments. I'll give Sark credit that, but I can't give him credit because it ended up being ultimately two for people in Oklahoma. They got a goal line stand out for the ages, like Texas and Stony oh, Clark. Yeah.
1: Ages. <laughs> After Stoney, hey, all toy Floyd at 737 is something mm-hmm. I uh, I want to bring up for Rod, not to talk about Blake. Okay. Okay, yeah. uh, this is okay. Yeah. So this is what I was getting at. I think it depends on your running back, your running back you have in the game is your personnel. Uh and I really believe that. Look, if Texas had Cody Johnson Saturday, lining up like that was perfect. Mm-hmm. Or if you have Ricky Williams, who's gonna run yeah. through somebody, right. Um, Texas doesn't have that back on their roster right now. They don't have the big 230-pound guy that's going to say, all right, come on, I'm going to run through your chest and I'm going to get the ball into the end zone, even if somebody misses a block. That's not there. So if Jonathan Brooks is going to be your back in those situations, I agree with spreading it out because he's going to be more patient and he's going to make one guy miss and he's going to dive to the end zone, right? If you're doing that with Cedric Baxter, probably what you do. Uh, the only guy to me they have on the roster if you're playing a mono-e-mono level opponent that you're not just going to just lean on and blow them off the ball is got to be Savion Red. And that, that's what will be interesting is uh, I think these off weeks, these bye weeks are great because I think these coaches look at things like that. Okay, what can we do better in this situation? Well, um, uh, and sometimes it's not just the play call. It's who you have in the game and yep. what you're asking them to do.
0: Agreed. And I think
1: that's why I'm very interested to see what Sark does from a run game standpoint and in the, inside the five moving forward this season.
0: It's a great point. I agree. Okay. We have a super chat here from kd 35. I am the best. I want to thank him for that one. And he says with Texas Good. up in the air on Solomon Williams right now, does Texas circle back and try on a dude like King Joseph Edwards again? Hook on love, yeah. still secretly in communication with Don McKinley. We need some big, we need some big defensive linemen.
1: Yeah, so uh, look, uh, Solomon Williams, I think, is an A&M lean just because he's been there twice in the last three weeks, only to Texas once. I go off instincts in this business, and my instincts are telling me that. Um, and I think everybody should be right now. We'll see what happens. I'm interested to see if he goes back to Alabama for the Tennessee game, how long the recruitment actually plays out. Mm-hmm. Uh, But, you know, as of last week, it was a Texas, Texas A&M was where that decision was ultimately going to come from. Uh, King Joseph Edwards, I've just heard nothing on that. I think, you know, I think Texas really likes Solomon Williams, but, you know, uh, they have Colin Simmons, they have uh, Zena committed, obviously different type of edge prospect. Solomon Williams is the, uh, I mean, Colin Simmons is the big winner in the recruiting cycle for Texas. Is Texas secretly in contact with the, and not secretly? They talk to him once a week, the kid or the mom. I think they're sitting there seeing if A&M is going to implode. Mm-hmm. I, because otherwise, I don't think they're they're gonna they're gonna win that one. I think Texas needs some big D-linemen. Well, actually, I'll say this. I think Alex January is playing really good ball. He's a midterm graduate, he's 6'4, 325. Assuming DeAndre Robinson signs with Texas he's a midterm enrollee, He's six three and a half, three oh five. But those guys are still going to be freshmen. If they take, if they need a big lineman late, it's got to be in the portal to me. Don McKinley's a really talented player, but he is not an Adwater instant player guy. He is not coming in and and being that type of impact player on a D line. I just don't see that with him. I think he's going to take some time. Uh, so if, if if people are looking for who's the impact guy out there doesn't mean even though Dom's rate is a five, sir, I don't think he's the impact guy. He's not. I don't think he's an early enrollee. At least he hadn't planned to be. I think he's going to need a little time. Uh, so that would have to come from
0: the portal. Uh, we have another recruiting question here uh, that I'm going to get to real quick, Jerry, and it's from Rick. And he says, Jerry, has the bikini safety made an official visit to Texas at any point? so No, no. The only two official
1: visits he made were uh, Florida and Georgia. And he committed to Florida over Georgia. And we're talking about Xavier Phil Same, uh, who Texas offered Saturday inside Texas. We broke the news. He was coming into the Red uh, River Showdown on Friday afternoon. Texas offered him uh, Saturday on the way to the uh, Cotton Bowl. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, he. I think Texas can get a visit there. Again, it's almost similar to AM. I think Texas is going to hang around the rim and see what happens with Florida's season the rest of the way because there's going to be some intense pressure there if Florida doesn't win this weekend. And that's where, you know, if if Florida goes five and seven, six and six, if they don't win this weekend, that's what they're staring at. Then you're going to start to see they're going to have some guys peel out of that class. And you have to be there. Uh, to recruit Mordell Mack, uh, which uh, Terry Joseph will be his game Friday, and Xavier Filsaime. Uh the, the rundown on his recruitment is: his dad lives in McKinney, the mom lives in Orlando. He's originally from Orlando. He moved to the McKinney area in sixth grade. Um, George is making a, a run him this season again, though they haven't backed off. So that tells you the level of prospect he is Will Muschamp and Kirby Smart. They don't, they don't exactly recruit stiffs on defense, guys. Um, so. That tells you the level of prospect he is. Uh, but I expect Blake Gideon to go by that school like this week.
2: Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC.
0: Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook Games. All right. So, well, let's move on. We have a question here from Bobby Brown, and he says, "Is it Big Twelve title or bust?" Yeah. After beating Bama, yeah, Rod. Yeah, yeah, <laughs>
2: no doubt. Because the Big Twelve, we just talked about it. Yeah. Now
0: you go. Know, the right now,
2: all roads seem to lead for both teams: Oklahoma and Texas back to the Big 12 title game for a rematch, that'd be great. There are some teams, I guess, that could upset that uh, situation. And West Virginia might be in the driver's seat right now for that. But, yeah, considering how down the Big 12 is, there is no doubt. If Texas doesn't play in the Big 12 championship, something went horribly wrong. And if they don't win it, Longhorn fans are going to be upset considering how this game went. Most Longhorn fans believe that Texas lost this game and Oklahoma didn't necessarily win the game. I didn't say that was me, but that's how Longhorn fans feel right now, that they lost that game because of self-inflicted wounds, Uh, you know, red zone issues, turnovers, penalties, things of that nature. So if they go back to the Big 12 title game, face Oklahoma, and don't beat them, or these issues pop up again, even though the Longhorns will just be, you know, even though they'll be an 11-win team, the Longhorns will still, Longhorn fans will still be upset about it. Because they won't like the manner of the two losses, especially being to the Sooners. Strangely enough.
1: Yes. Uh, by the way, six-zero
0: Rangers, three-run homer, Blake. You're on. You're on to the LCS. I'm ready to go, baby.
2: Nice. <laughs> All right.
0: Uh, let's see. Here we have a couple more super chats that we need to knock out real quick, guys. And this first one from eight one seven, Mister Talk Too Much, and I'm I probably should have read this earlier. Uh, he says Blitz slash spy a strong hand side, maybe. That was into uh, in reference uh, to one of our earlier conversations. So, my that was apologies. about
2: the uh, dual threat quarterbacks. Was that? Yeah, I believe it was. Yeah, yeah, you can. That's a great point about flushing them, right? You can essentially decide. I remember this was a discussion about Dylan in You know, based on analytics, you do the research, find out what you know, um, what angle and from what uh side they like to throw the football, what if they flush from the right or flush to the left. Where they like to throw the football, where they're most comfortable, and then obviously you want them to go to the other side where they're where they're most ineffective throwing the football. And you kind of flush them. You can blitz them, overload from the right or the left, flush them to that most ineffective side, and then you can have a have a spy waiting on them. And um, kind of you can really almost force them um, to scramble and abandon the pocket where you want them. And that's another way to do it too. So there are different approaches. And I thought uh, PK did a great job with Jalen Nuro. But remember, he's not. He was a true dual threat because right. he couldn't
1: hurt you as a passer as much. Hey, Jose Rodriguez has a good question.
0: I think. I think because people have asked it before at seven forty-six. Yeah, he says, Rod and Jerry. I know that I'm not the only one that sees a six-seven quarterback on the sidelines who we can use in the red zone. Is he that type of athlete? And is it worth it to get us some yards in the red area?
1: No. And look, it, Malik Murphy's a pocket quarterback. If you did athletic testing. He'd be probably the third. He'd be behind Arch and Quinn in athletic testing. He's a pocket quarterback. He is a. I'm not gonna. I'm not saying he's Jamarcus Russell's a player, but he's Jamarcus Russell's size frame. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, though, he's a pocket quarterback though. So he's not. He's not what people think. I mean, uh, there's no Tyrone swoops here athletically. I'll say that. I mean, so that's. Uh, if it was if he was, you would have seen him Saturday, and and I'll. Uh, in that from, you know, in that package, that's yep. just not who he is. And it would be really obvious too to bring him next. He'd obviously
2: go into center yeah, most of the time for that. And yeah, it, it, once again, it would be start saying, make a statement. We're predictable, but we believe we're so dominant. We can impose our will. You can't stop it with our big quarterback and our big mammoth offensive yeah. line, which is, I think, uh, depending on the matchup you face that week, Against Oklahoma, it was obviously a misguided one. I think it might work better against a different matchup, another team in the Big 12. But I think that's a matchup-based thing. Like Jerry said, some games on the, down on the goal line, you might want to spread them out to run or spread things out a little bit more. Against certain teams, you want to play bully ball. Against Oklahoma, they obviously uh, had a different plan.
1: Um, there's a uh, – Isaac Darden came back. Why was he getting Cam Newton comps out of, coming out of high school if he has no Ooh, athleticism? That's terrible. I didn't Look, I mean you didn't ask me on that one. I would have told you those people <laughs> people need a new profession. That, that's not who he is. Okay. I mean, mm-hmm. he ain't that freak now. And there aren't yeah. many of those freaks though. Uh Malik Murphy's a pocket quarterback, guys.
0: Thank okay, guys, let's move on here. Uh Rod, we've had this question quite a bit in the chat, so I gotta ask it for you because it's been came up like five times from five different people. Horns fan 224 says, Would you ever consider coaching?
2: Oh, nice, um, man. It's a it's a hard life. It ain't easy. I got a lot of friends in the coaches, my best friends in the world, yeah. coaches the 49ers. It's a, it's it's a tough life because it's a lot of work. You put it in a lot. Jerry knows this. right? Yeah. Um, you may know, talk about like, you know, there are, you know, policemen wives and like soldiers wives. You got to have a certain type of wife if you're going to be in that profession because she got to be, you know, mean, she's got to be down. she got to be ride or die because you're just not yeah. going to be available and all that kind of stuff. Coaches' wise are very similar. I mean, you got to have a kind of a ride or die because you're going to be at the office a lot and then the skill, you're going to be traveling a lot. I mean, if I start coaching, am I in? I've got to coach at Angelo State first and places like that. You got to make sure you got to work that's willing to travel and go hang out in the podunk town for a couple of years while you rise up the ranks uh, or have a long distance relationship. That's stuff too. And if you got a family, even tougher. Uh, so I just, so I, I respect the profession too much. I know how obsessive I am. And if I get into it, man, it's it's for me. It's going to basically take up my entire life or most of it. And I want to do the the profession. I want to do. I have I have respect for it. Um, so I think I will get into it maybe one day. And I don't know at what level. Um, I was an education major, so high school level uh, could happen. I got friends who off I offered to coach at the college level and turned it down. Um, and even can start at the lowest levels in the NFL potentially. Uh, But, man, I just I think my obsessive personality, it would lead me to have a quality of life that is uh, (laughs) not well-rounded. I'd be in a damn film room the whole time. I'd probably end up divorced because I'd be in the film room the whole time. I know myself. That's about
1: the 70 percentile of coaches, by the way, 75 percent. Yeah, I know myself. They're 80 hours a week in the office during the season. Yeah. And And, uh, And in college with recruiting. There is really no downtime, and by the way, we're gonna keep Rod. Rod's gonna get his coaching out of his system in about 15 years, coaching Powder Puff football. Okay, that's <laughs> where he's gonna get his coaching out. We're gonna keep him with us, and we're gonna keep him uh, radioing with us, and he can coach Powder Puff when his, when his girl gets uh, old enough. Yeah, no, yeah. No, dude, no, real quick, I asked my
2: wife years ago, I got an offer to coach at a, a college, and uh, we had just started dating, we've been together now for 13 years. And I just said straight up, I said, hey, um, what are your thoughts about me going to coaching? And I'd have to move to this spot and whatever. And she's like, yeah, we're probably, that's probably going to be the end of us right there. We, I can't do long distance and I'm not moving to, it was in Louisiana. She's like, I'm not moving to Louisiana. <laughs> and I was like, all right, cool. I didn't want to coach that bad anyway.
0: And <laughs> hey, you can always come help me coach my 11-year-old's flag football team. Hey, I'm down, man.
2: I I might get too into that, too.
0: (laughs) It's (laughs) all right. We need all the help we can get. Okay. Let's see here, guys. We got a super chat. One more. This one from Lim Boston. And bear with me here as it's a two-parter. He says, I said it in the stadium that if Sark was going to call the fourth down play on the goal line, it needed to be to wit. He has more bricks in his pocket. What are y'all's thoughts?
1: Uh, Yeah, that goes back to the personnel we talked about. Who are you handing it off to in certain sets? Um Look, I mean, I I I agree in looking back on it at the time. I mean, Rod, I mean, Worthy got. I mean, he did get face masks. They didn't throw the flag. He was close. He was right, right there. there. I mean, he's you're right an inch there. away, but I get yeah. his point. Uh I I'll,
2: I'll say this about the J. By the way, that was the J. Which game he's ever at. That was the <laughs> That was Jay Witt's like, big game, and I'm happy for him that it happened in the Texas OU game. And I don't know if it was out of circumstance or I don't know if it was actually planned as a tendency breaker that Sark said they're going to be focused on JT, AD, and X-Man. Hey, what about Jay Witt? All, you know, Jay Witt all day, every day. So I love that changeup because uh, Jay Witt, he was in the zone. He was making a lot of plays. I just wondered down there if Sark appreciates Jay Witt more as a blocker because he is an elite blocker. And if you had him in there, and this is, kind of goes. Maybe that's why he should have done it because that would have been a tendency breaker. Usually, he's got Jay he win in a blocking role in a lot of those uh, situations, and Jay Wood is a great blocker. So maybe the truth is, you know. And who was in that, at, at the twin spot? Was that A. D. Mitchell and Xavier Worthy for that yeah. play?
1: Was uh, I, it A. D.? Yeah, I think so. No, I think it was. It was A. D. Worthy.
2: Is so why not X? Why not J., well, Jay Wood to block them?
1: Yeah, I don't know. I have to go back and now that I'm
2: thinking about it, if Jay Witt is such a great blocker and you run those plays, because even even when the first play of the game where they have J.T. Sanders coming in motion to help block the wide receiver screen, I believe that's A.D. Mitchell too. And I almost wonder if you're going to have a a play where you have somebody blocking for X Man like on those two plays. Why is it not the best blocking wide receiver on the team? Yeah. Or like you said, in it's a good question. Good
0: question. Yeah. Okay, guys, we are going to move on now to some other ones. And uh, there was one that was just asked. Oh, uh, from David Williams. He says, Rod, what's your view about safeties running full speed through ball carriers rather than breaking down, wrapping up, and tackling ball carriers to the ground? The current approach creates missed tackles.
2: Yeah, I think it depends on the safety. Jalen Catalan comes downhill like that, too. Um and he got hurt in the game, but he comes down, and his angles are so precise, he, he makes the play usually. He made the first three tackles, actually, in the game, <laughs> Uh Ali Catalan. So I think it depends on the safety. I'm with you, though. I, I always say I never made a big hit when I played. I just made sound tackles. They were boring, and sometimes they weren't – I mean, they didn't make any highlight reels. It was just Robbie grabbing an ankle, uh, grabbing a, a thigh, and just hanging on, waiting for Corey Redden and Derrick Johnson to come clean it up right um and i you know because i was always breaking down i'm trying to make a sound tackle i'm not trying to make a big hit uh, and i do think some of these young guys they always trying to come in and make the big hit uh I, it's called the sports center effect they want to make a highlight real hits like yeah. going there going there and make an ugly sound tackle instead of trying to make a pretty highlight real hit you know what I mean? and going there and wrap up and, and get your feet under you and and you know out of control under control as board we should say so texas missed 13 tackles according to pro football focus and I counted what I count is additional yards after missed tackles. To me, that matters more. You can miss a lot of tackles. But if you got great pursuit to the football and they only gain two additional yards after you miss mm-hmm. a tackle, not really that big of a deal. I counted over. I counted 100 close to 130 yards, 130 additional yards after missed tackles, guys. And hell, a lot of them happened at the end of the half range. It was Oklahoma. Trying to score the half in two minute yep. mode and then again in game winning two minute mode at the end of the half. That's a situation that Texas DBs and I'll see the back seven that they need to be, uh, they need to be repped on in practice over and over again. Because we just talked, and I'm now I'm getting off on another tangent here, so I apologize, David. Um, because I think your, your point was, uh, you know, I, I'm trying to answer your question but get, dig a little deeper into it. If Texas in that situation is so discombobulated, confused that they're breaking down coverages. And encourage bust in the most important defensive drive of the game. And I know there are a lot of young guys out there too, then they're just not comfortable in that mode. And that's where I saw most of the missed tackles actually. Yeah. It happened in those last two drives of the half there for uh, Texas defense. So I don't know what it was about the two minute mode, and maybe it's the uh, depth that they played from. Not really sure what it was, but I think I noticed maybe half their missed tackles on those two drives the last drive before the half and the last drive of the game. They had multiple missed tackles on those drives, at least five combined on those drives. There's got to be yeah, something with the that, that, that
1: situational
2: um, element for the Texas defense that they, they need to correct.
1: And I, I would add this. This was the first game all season for Texas, truly, that a quarterback had a lot of time to throw, could pick his spot to throw it to, and after you've covered three seconds, You're more in the open field, right, Rod? There's a lot of pressure on you you haven't been under this year as a defensive back. Um, So that was one of the rare times for Texas this year. The only time it's happened multiple times in a game where the throws were in down-the-field intermediate, longer-developing pass plays. Corner was covering. He's covering for a split second, two split seconds longer than normal. And he knows he's gotta then come out of that cut, make that tackle. They haven't they have had to do that this year. That was a nope. different experience for those guys. And that's
2: why I, I totally agree, Jerry. And that's why, you know, I said, I think I said this on Sunday. You know, I'm a little upset that they didn't get to see Jalen Daniels. And now people are like, that's I not a big agree. deal. When you talk about correcting issues, remember that Rice game and how pantry were about the offensive line, they were gonna be a disaster versus Alabama. They weren't because so Sark said we're gonna problem. That's what coaches do. They, they're problem solvers. He said, we're going to solve the problem. They went back to work. They went good on good. They fixed those issues. Going to the Bama game and the offensive line looked great. I do believe something similar could have happened to the Texas secondary um, versus Kansas. I think they could have got exposed in some ways. Also, there was a dual threat quarterback. So maybe you wouldn't have went into the Oklahoma game with the false confidence that you could pressure a dual threat quarterback organically and also that your secondary would hold up against a high level quarterback. You would have built in some fail safes within the defense. You probably would have had a spy more. You might have brought more blitzes. Uh, You might have uh, changed up the coverage a little bit more to protect those guys. I think they went to Oklahoma game with a false sense of confidence about how to defend a a quarterback with functional mobility and receivers that were a fast group of receivers that honestly were a lot more skilled than Texas anticipated. They were able to make some plays out there on the perimeter. So I think that's, you know, when you're talking about getting better week to week, hopefully you win the games, but you also want your opponents to test you, to push yep. you. And then they expose a little, expose some of your flaws, but you go back and correct those flaws, then that's how you get better week to week. And I think that tennis game playing Jason Bean instead of Jalen Daniels, I think it really set Texas' defense a little bit because they would have gotten tested with the first true test of a real quarterback. But they didn't have that. The first real test came in the Texas OU game. I think we all agree, defensively, Texas seemed like they were a little in over their head at times.
0: Well, we have a question about Oklahoma. And Rand Rodriguez, LFC says, looking at Oklahoma's schedule, do you guys see any potential slip-ups? And I'm going to bring the schedule up for y'all. Yeah. There well, you go, right there.
1: This is this is a twofold question though. At Kansas will be a tough game. At BYU cuz the altitude will probably be a tough game for them. But here's the thing. Here's the reality I think for Texas fans. You want Oklahoma to run the table. You want to run the table. You want them to be twelve and zero. You want to be eleven and one, and you want a second crack at them in the Big Twelve championship game. Mm -hmm. Because if you're eleven and one and you beat twelve and zero Oklahoma, if you have college football playoff dreams, that's the only way you're getting there. Bottom line, amen, brother. You know it
2: it makes it leaves a bad taste in your mouth, and you don't want to do it, but you need to root for your rival. One of the rare,
1: (laughs) one of the rare instances you have to do it because you want them to be twelve and zero. You want to be eleven and one. You want to beat twelve and zero number two ranked team or three ranked team in the Big Twelve championship game, and that vaults you into the playoff as a four seed. Yep, I totally agree with Jerry.
2: If you, uh, thing about it, because if you if you want the rematch and you want the revenge, the the sweetest revenge. Mm -hmm. You gotta hope Oklahoma goes into that Big Twelve game undefeated. That's a sweet advantage you can get, baby.
1: Yeah. <laughs> you don't look. I mean, Texas fans would laugh if Oklahoma lost a couple games on the schedule. I know. But, but then uh, West Virginia sneaks into the uh, with a horrible schedule, finds a way to sneak into the Big Twelve championship game, and nobody's going to watch.
2: Yep. Exactly. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, it's yep. just like
1: it's that I mean, doesn't. That that's not going to do anything for you when you uh, need something. You need to play a tremendous opponent at that point in time to get into a college football playoff. If you make it at 11 and one, you don't need to play West Virginia. Amen, you need bro. to play an undefeated Oklahoma team.
2: Yep. Cause the winner will automatically go to the college football playoff
1: at that point. Yep.
2: It'll be, that's what the, it'll be a de facto college football playoff uh, quarterfinal game or whatever. Pretty much. Yeah.
0: Okay, guys, we got some more super chats that we gotta knock out now. Uh football junkie. Thank you, football junkie. He says 81 wow. snaps for Ford is nuts. He looked drained. Lots of bad tape on him from this game. Multiple busts. What's your guys' take on him playing so many snaps? That's good. That's good. He did he, I'll admit That was some plays that was just uncharacteristic of Jalen
2: Ford. That's that one quarterback draw where he's in the hole with Dylan Gabriel. I mean, it's almost like a Uh, a practice drill set up where he's one-on-one, mano-a-mano with Dylan Gabriel and Dylan Gabriel leaves him flat footed. And he just, he just looked out of sorts. Now it could have been that he was tired. um, But I like what my man, Drew Kelson said. He said, you know, the reason Jalen Ford just got to play linebacker, the reason Jalen Ford has such a bad game is because the D line had a bad game. There's a reverberating negative effect on everybody else on defense. When the D line has a bad game, Linebackers gonna have a bad game. Inevitably, the secondary will probably have a bad game too because they got to cover for way too long, like Jerry said. So he did. He looked drained. You know, they've been trying to rotate guys. That's actually one of the few places where they have not rotated because Mo Blackwell had the injury. We haven't seen a lot of rotation at linebacker. Anthony Hill probably will start playing more, but not in Jalen Ford spot. That'll be in Vender spot. So I'm not sure exactly what they'll do to I don't know rest uh, Jalen Ford if that 81 snaps is way too much. Best way is to get off the field too. They play they defended a lot of snaps too because they were on the field for some long drives.
1: Hey, hey, uh, Blake, bring up Ryan Nelson's question at 8.02 p.m. 12 and one FSU versus 12 and one UT. Oh, who are you take? Yeah, I actually
0: just started that because I was gonna ask you that. So
1: here's the deal. I know people like quit getting ahead of yourselves, but we don't play. I don't I'm not a coach, I don't play, so this is what we're here to talk about. This stuff, okay. <laughs> I'm gonna continue to say that. I, I you know, me talking about this doesn't affect how Quinn Ewers plays. Um, Or Jonathan Brooks or Kelvin Banks or or Sark coaches. It just doesn't. So here's the thing. I'm not sure it's who I would take – what my opinion of who I would take is in that scenario. I think in that scenario Texas would get in because, one, that means FSU dropped the game uh, and their schedule – you know, they got Duke. But they're at Wake. They're at Pitt. They have Syracuse this week in Miami. Who's I don't know. Um, yeah, Northern Arizona and out of Florida. Who could have a you know be five and six in that game? Yeah. If Texas has wins over Alabama and Alabama goes on plays in the SEC title game, whether even if they're ten and two, um, if Texas has wins over Alabama and Oklahoma, they're going to get in over FSU. In my opinion, I
2: agree. Yep. that will be two wins. Okay.
0: We have some more super chats we need to get to. But before we do, guys, I need to tell you all about Energy Texas one more time. Energy Texas is for Texans by Texans. When Energy Texas becomes your energy provider, you're dealing with and calling people in the state of Texas, not back east, not overseas, Texans. We're proud or they're proud to be from the greatest state in the union and prouder still to be fighting for the little guy against big power. Give them a call. Let them help you today or check them out online at EnergyTexas.com. That's Texas Electricity done right, and we have a super chat here from eight one seven. Mister Talk Too Much again, so thank you again. He says, "I'm with Jerry. Red's the key, but what about a Naor jump ball in the end zone?"
1: Now, I mean, look if he, if he was if he was going to do it this year, they'd have him on the field. That's the way I look at it. I mean, it's not. Um, I as Rod said, I mean, your best option in in that scenario right now, maybe the lineup JT wide. Get in the jumbo formation and line up JT wide and say, all right, here's a here it is. I mean, here it is, JT. You either make the plan or make sure it gets knocked down. Right, Rod? I mean, that's your best option.
2: Yes, Sark is not a fan of the the uh fade route in right. the end zone. Remember, Tom Herman loved the big buy receivers. Yeah, he loved the 50-50 ball guys. You got a Colin Johnson, a little Jordan Humphrey. We saw a lot of fades uh from Texas. Sark didn't like that type of receiver, really. And honestly, he's a speed demon guy. Um, So I'm with Jerry. I think JT Simmons is probably your best jump ball player if you want to do that. But keep in mind, analytically, the is one of the least efficient routes to run in the red zone. I know it sounds nice, but if you've got to have a freakish player, then, if you have Colin Johnson,
1: you can run it, right? Rod, if yes. you have a Colin Johnson 6'6 six, six with an 80 inch two inch wingspan and fly paper hands, it makes some sense. Exactly. But if you don't have a specific skill set
2: or a specific skill uh, type that can or body type to run that, it's usually highly inefficient, man. It really is. So I think that's why Sark, he's just not a big fan of the, the fade route down there. By the way, he didn't have to be. Yeah, there are other ways.
0: Then we have one more super chat from 817, Mr. Talk Too Much. He says, Holmes isn't the answer. Need Manny and Brooks out there if Ryan's hurt with Baron as the nickel, Williams and Bug with Catalan on rundowns for Bug. What do y'all think?
2: Oh, nice situation. That's, getting, the, that's
0: rotation. getting into some rotational stuff there.
1: Yeah. Um, look, Rod, I'm not as you look at this, as your season goes along, if you get in a game, if you get in a game like this again, um, it's, it's all depends on health of players for me and how yep. far Williams comes uh, as a safety. But um, I'm not sure there's a scenario where I wouldn't put Barron at corner. He can play corner. And honestly, I would trust him. He's
2: probably, honestly, he's your best corner. <laughs> uh, so that's a good point, Jerry, that, if you don't like the way the guys are holding up, now I don't know how they feel about the backup nickelback. Either. That's
1: the whole thing, yeah.
2: Yeah. So how confident are they in the backup nickelback? Uh, I I think Derek Williams is going to end up make pushing his way onto the field. He's just he's your best coverage safety and right now. Your safeties are being exposed a bit in coverage, so I think he should he should play more. I love Jalen Catalan. Even they went after him in the game in that with that deep ball, but that was just a really well designed um route combination and the formation with the stat twins and he's that's not his i don't know it's not a strength, necessarily his coverage he's not a weakness but it's not necessarily his strength his strength is edison the kind of an all-around instinctive football player that's around wow. the ball he's just a ball hawking playmaking force multiplier <laughs> and that's why you want him out there uh so i like catalan out there all the time I mean, he made the first three tackles for texas yes in that oklahoma game he was running downhill running the alley like alley catalan so I like him out there. I, I think, you know, Jaron Thompson, they've been trying to recruit over Jaron Thompson for a while, and he still keeps forcing his way on the field. He reminds me of me a little bit. Because hey, They kept rec- recruiting guys with higher upside than Rod B, like Nathan Dasher and Cedric Griffin and Michael Huff. I'm like, man, them guys, they are going to play on Sundays, and they will get drafted higher than Rod B, but they are not taking my spot. And I think Jaron Thompson's got that kind of attitude, and I like it. He's got to make some ways, though. That pick that he dropped was, oh, that was a heartbreaker. Crucial. And think about how many play, picks he would have. he picked that ball off. I mean, he yeah. would be basically kind of, kind of having a hell of a year as a playmaker, too. So I think he's got to be out there. He's your elder statesman. I'm a little disappointed that they had communication breakdowns in the secondary on multiple plays with a guy like Jaren Thompson out there, found out the safeties were in a different coverage than the corners on that Drake Stoops reception on the last drive. I need the elder statesman to step up and make sure those communication breakdowns don't happen. At least limit them to one. You had two. On the last drive, two communication breakdowns on the last drive, unacceptable, guys. They got to fix that.
0: This next question is from Shavam Patel. He says, Jerry, who has the highest ceiling between Manny Muhammad, Derek Williams, and Anthony Hill? Ooh, oh, that's man, good. that's a tough question. Um,
1: mm-hmm. that, that's a lot of high ceilings. Um, I might <laughs> – it's tough. Linebackers – you know Anthony Hill because he can p- rush the passer is has a lot. Um, I have a feeling Derek Williams is going to be extraordinarily popular with NFL people down the line mm-hmm. because he's got he's got he's got size, length, and cornerback feet at, at the safety position. I, I think he's going to be extremely popular. Uh, Manny Muhammad, I think, is a tremendous corner. I'd love to see Rod's opinion on this. Manny might not go to the combine and run four three seven, though. That that's going to be the deal deal with him. I think he's uh, tremendous. I think all three of those guys are future draft picks. Uh, Anthony Hill can rush the passer, so you got you got to go with him right now until you see if Derek Williams, though, Rod. If everything we see from this guy now, if mm-hmm. he also becomes a guy that makes plays on the ball. Yeah. In year two starts intercepting some passes. I boy, he's got a lot his his ceilings extremely high at safety. I think if you want to increase
2: his value, because I agree with you. And I heard Michael Griffin say he's gonna go down as one of the greatest DBs in the history of DBU. And I'm like, that was before we even saw him play. Right. And I trust my man Mike Griffin's ability to analyze and evaluate DB talent. Um, so I'll double down on it and say, I think they should situationally, maybe matchup wise, and talking about next season now, move him to nickel moving between nickel and safety, because I, I'm with you. I think you want to really maximize his coverage ability, put him in there at nickel. And that's when the NFL scouts will really get excited. See yeah. that he can, play Nick. he can play nickel, that means you can handle how quick, uh, basically the quick processing of everything that happens right there, close to the line of scrimmage. And nickel's got to be able to do everything. That's the most versatile position yeah. in football on you right now. You got to be able to blitz, play zone, play man, play man in the slot. That's what a two-way go. Uh, you got to be able to play the run. You got to be able to take on, you know, tight ends, running backs, and even some linemen in, in, uh, in the run game. You got to be physical. I think Derek Williams should split his time. Hope did that sometimes, too. There's you no know, matchup. They move him to safety, move him all around to nickel at times. I think that's what you do with a guy like Derek Williams. Manny Muhammad, I just love his technique. He probably has a chance to get drafted higher just because of the value of the position. That's why I think they should move Derrick Williams around his cornerback a little bit to, not the corner, but to nickel, slot corner a little bit. Um, but Manny Mum, if he runs a fast time and is and is a shutdown corner with the ball hawking skill that he has, yeah, the, the NFL might value his skill set a little bit more just because the cornerback position is just such a premium position these days.
1: Uh UT boys asking, Do I believe Jonte should play more? Uh, look, I I uh, play more. I mean, it's hard to say play more because Texas had three wide receivers go over 100 yards and nobody's dropping balls or playing really well. I do think Jonte will get a lot more opportunities the second half of uh, Big 12 play, second half of the season. And I think that will start against U of H. I think they're going to hunt some matchups for him. Uh, get, he, Sark said in his Monday press conference he probably should have got him out there more. Derek Moore's getting closer. I mean, I'm sorry, Moore um, uh, Moore's getting closer um, too. So I, I think you're going to start to see those guys play a little bit more. Um,
2: I agree, and I wonder, Sark, when he was at Alabama, I don't know if he's going to do it at Texas, but Sark is really good about evolving his scheme to the personnel he has. When he had those four first-round wide receivers at Alabama, he had what he called the red package. We would just go out there and 10 personnel, one back, zero tight ends, and put them four first-round wide receivers on the field, nightmare fuel for defensive coordinators. I'm not saying he's got that here at Texas, but before you lose him, um, you know, you got – and you know J.T. Sanders dealing with an injury – I, they were They put a really called a Big Eleven package, which is extra lineman, but with three wide receivers on the field. I wonder if Sark is getting close to putting another personnel package, just situationally, to blitz the opponent with speed, with X Man, Ad Mitchell, Jay Witt, and Jonte Cook potentially on the field for a pack. We haven't seen a ten personnel grouping with Sark since he's been here, but yep. we haven't seen a wide receiver room this deep since he's been here.
0: Yep. Well, guys, we got time for just a few more questions tonight. I'm going to take this one from Isaac Darden. He says, "Do you think Cedric Baxter will be injury prone moving forward in his career?" That I, that's a tough that's a tough question to answer,
1: man. Because once you get a nagging injury uh, in a season, it can appear that way. Um, I, I can't I can't sit here and say that though. I mean, look, uh, some people thought Jordan Shipley was going to be injury prone early early in his career at Texas. Both cave, Bo I mean, and then they didn't turn out to be. I think sometimes you can have a little rough luck with injuries. I mean, like, Cedric Baxter's senior year in high school, he missed half the regular season, but it was due to a pulled hamstring that he kind of re-injured from track spring of his junior year. But the reality was they were going to win those games and they didn't need him. So he Mm -hmm. could have probably set two weeks in play. Um, I I think here, I mean, you know, it's hard to say that. I mean, he's a young player. He's going to get a lot stronger. I mean, he had a... Tough break the the how he fell on his shoulder full speed on the point of his right shoulder. Um then whatever happened to his, his calf lower leg, which has kind of been lingering a little bit. Uh but it's hard to it's hard to say that. I mean, I, we'd be totally guessing because some guys have looked like it early in their career and then they were fine the last three years of their career. So I, that's a tough one. Agreed. And then some guys like
2: Rad B healthy their entire high school, college career, and then get to the league and have three <laughs> shoulder surgeries in a row. It's You just (laughs) never know, man. It's Unfortunately. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Well, we're going to use that question to springboard into this one from Justin Daniels. He says, please speak on the personnel decision. I know we're high on CJ Baxter, but Brooks should be getting more carries. Now it is worth noting Brooks fleets all power five running backs in rushing yards currently. Here's what I have to say to that. It's twofold.
1: Um, Brooks is not built like Ricky Williams. Or oh, he's not as big as Deontay Foreman. You don't want him carrying a ball 35 times in a game. That's not a way to keep him healthy for mm-hmm. 13 games. Yeah. I mean, that's just not, it doesn't, that's not going to happen. It's not going to work. He's not that, he's not physically built like that. He's not that type of runner. Um, the best case scenario for Texas is CJ Baxter gets healthy and Brooks is 18 to 20, 21 touches. He is 100% full go in all those touches. And then Baxter's coming into the game, who's very talented. I'm just telling you, the Texas staff thinks this guy is going to be tremendous if they get him healthy down the line as a player. There's a reason they started him. It's not – I mean, the guy's very talented. Um, the the best-case scenarios is, is he get, can carry it 12 times a game. And, and Jonathan Brooks is fresh all season. The last thing you want to do is wear Jonathan Brooks down – the next five games, then you get in the Texas Tech, and you have a Big 12 title the week after that, and the dude doesn't have any juice. Yeah, that's a good point. And he's not built like Ricky Williams. Nobody is, but I mean, I'm just saying, like those type of backs, he's not built like that guy.
2: Yeah, he's not a workhorse back.
1: And and by the way,
2: the, nobody wants workhorse backs, and they say right. they're 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 the exception to the rule. Nobody right. has workhorse backs anymore.
0: All right, we have time for one more question here. This one from Bryce Phillips. He says, "Which teams left on the schedule give Texas fits, and why?"
1: I think Rod and I are on the
0: same page here.
1: Yeah, BYU and K State are interesting because when before the season, when you said, "Okay, who can negate uh, the Texas defensive line," which was had to be the strength of their team on uh, this mm-hmm. year, had to be the strength. Yeah, uh, that's Byron Murphy. That's Sweat. That's Alfred Collins. That's um, Trill Carter, that's the depth at that position. People – I circled K-State because their interior offensive line was really, really good. I think BYU's got a really good offensive line. I'm not sure either one of those teams can stop Texas as their issue. Um, Rod, so from a personnel standpoint on offense, then also you have running quarterback at K-State, a guy who is an athlete. Um, You know, I say at TCU, at Iowa State on the road or mine – long-term because look, Auburn-Omers beat Georgia two weeks ago. They're not close to being as good a team as Georgia. I mean, the road in college football, the power five level, especially as it's uh, amped up, mm-hmm. as the pressure gets amped up on these teams, it becomes an issue.
2: Yeah. Before the season started, obviously it was K-State. It still feels like K-State could be that. They're just, I think they, they've they been very disappointing Overall, because Will Howard has not taken the step, that leap that they thought Will Howard would take. He struggled a little bit and been inconsistent. And the defense really misses the guys they sent to the league. Uh, branch the uh, defensive back, uh Felix and Udike Uzoma. Um, and, of course, Deuce Vaughn. I think they really miss those guys. It may take yeah. them a year or so, a program like K-State, to really develop some quality uh depth behind them. But schematically, they run the three high three down. Which has given it matches up well with Sark's offense. So that's there. You just brought up the offensive line, which matches up well with Texas strength on defense, which is their interior D line. And they do have a dual third quarterback. So they will run triple option. They will run quarterback draw. (laughs) <laughs> they will take the Oklahoma game plan and try to replicate as much of it as they can with Will Howard being, you know, their version of Dylan Gabriel. Yeah. So honestly, K-State is still there and the Purple Kryptonite, damn it. So per- that's still that for me because I think they add, there are a lot of different problems they present to Texas. I still think Texas is better than K-State and is going to beat them, but they present a lot of problems. I'm with you on the BYU one. Uh, obviously, it's a little bit personal for Sark, so I'm sure he's going to have the guys ready to go. But they got offensive line and they got – Grown men on that damn roster who pay mortgages and have kids. So they think differently. And uh I'll throw TCU out there too, just because this might be TCU slow, man. That's gonna be That's a big it. yeah. Brett Brett Yarmark will finally show up at that game because the Big 12 offices is down there. So they'll probably show up to that game. And I guarantee you, they also run that three high three down. Yeah. And yeah, and I, I I do think, you know, for some reason, I don't know why. Uh Sonny Dykes has a good record against Texas, the <laughs> way he's coaching. It's weird little thing, whether he's with Cal and they're running the Bear Raid or whether he's at TCU. He has a weirdly successful record against Texas. So I'll throw the Purple Kryptonite is probably one and three for me, K-State and TCU.
0: All right, guys. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the Tuesday Night Longhorn live stream right here on On Texas Football. We want to thank all of you for tuning in. We want to thank Energy Texas for sponsoring tonight's show. Thank you all for the super chats. Be sure to hit that like and subscribe button. We would definitely appreciate it. And we would also appreciate if you'd ring the bell so you're notified anytime a new video is posted right here on On Texas Football. And uh, Jerry and myself and Bobby will be back tomorrow morning at 8 a.m. for the... Uh, Coffee and football, so be sure to tune in for that. And for Rod Babers and Jerry Hamilton, I'm Blake Monroe, and we'll see you next time. Welcome.